afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today we're going to be talking about loneliness and we're going to be talking about a remedy for loneliness. There is a lot going on today in our world, particularly right now we've got uh, some people who have stormed into the Capitol uh, building and uh, they've evacuated our Congress to uh, while they were in the process of counting the electoral votes. Um, and uh, so this is a pretty scary time and pretty scary stuff and a lot of us are watching this from our homes alone. And loneliness is one of our biggest problems. Further, far too many people are either ill from the virus or trying very hard to avoid getting it. Many of us are isolated at home or even quarantined. Many single people are desperate during this time, which because of the serious contagion of the virus makes it all the harder to find that mate they're longing for or even hang out with friends. This period of time is exacerbating a problem already a pandemic of its own, loneliness. In many cases, people are even dying of COVID alone in a hospital bed, unable to be with family members because of the contagion. Well, I wish I had a remedy for COVID that would work faster than the vaccines. Unfortunately, I don't. But there is a remedy for loneliness, and we're going to reveal it today. So look at, let's look at first the definition that's given to us by most dictionaries about what, what is loneliness. Loneliness is, according to those dictionaries, Sadness because one has no friends or company. And so that's generally how we think of loneliness, that it has to do with the need for friends and company. We're going to alter that definition a little bit today because we, we need to understand the difference between fitting in and belonging. You see, fitting in means I have to give up myself or portions of myself in order to fit into a group where I may or may not truly belong, but I really want to belong somewhere so here you are and you're all I got so I'm going to do whatever it is that I have to do and that really starts early 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 on in our lives when we're infants even uh, when we're not able to to really even verbalize what our needs are where we can only cry or signal in some other way that we have a need and our parents are left to figure out or or decipher the language of babies and uh, so what we do with that is we try to figure out how to fit into the family system. So the family system may, may, may be made up of various forms of dysfunction, and it may be made up of people who have uh, expectations of us to grow up in a certain way or images of how we look or how we are. Uh, many, it's real common for parents to want a child to be another immolation of the adult, to, be, to grow up to be just another... A person that looks just like, or acts just like, thinks just like, believes just like the parent. And so, what is that? What's that infant going to do with that? Well, the infant is obviously too small and vulnerable to be able to say no to it. And and so, what most of us as infants do is we just sort of say, "Oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to do this time around." If you believe in reincarnation, and I'm, I'm supposed to be like them. They want me to be this way, so I'm going to be that way. And we get that 
that through subtle, nuanced behaviors, subtle communiques that we get from the air, uh, through intuition, we get it that they want us to be a certain way. We feel it when they're holding us. We feel it uh, in, in their eye contact. We feel it in their smiles. We feel it in their frowns. We feel it all the time. And as we grow in that environment, we see it more and more and more. So it's constantly reinforced what they want from us, what they want from us, what they want from us, what they want from us. And so we fit in. We do what's expected. We, we, we give up whatever attachment we have to our own authenticity in order to fit in. Because in most family systems, there's what's uh, Bradford called a family trance, where everybody knows what's expected. Nobody talks about it, but everybody knows what's expected, and everybody just does it. And so we, we fit into that system. We do what is expected of us because everybody's doing it, so we must do it too. And it's real common in most families for one child to be assigned one role and another child to be assigned another role. So it's common for you to see a, a, a child who follows the rules and does everything right and does well in school and excels in school and becomes a valedictorian in school and goes on to be a doctor, lawyer, you know, some kind of, uh, some kind of high profession. And they got, so there's, that's one child and the other child, is off using drugs and getting put in and out of jail and, and uh, that kind of thing. Now, it's also common to see more than one child in a family system that has uh, that has the same kind of addiction. So I'm not saying that, ha- that it happens in opposite ways every time, but it is common for children to be assigned roles, subtly nuanced assignations of a role that say, this is what you're supposed to do in this family. And it could be to be a very good guy. It could be to be a very bad guy. If I'm a growing up in a family system where, where I only get noticed for the bad things I do, quote unquote bad things I do, then I'm going to start believing that I'm bad. And I may believe that that's the only way I can exist at all because our existential nature is tied to these roles. And so we, we begin to believe that's who we are. I am the bad guy. I'm, I'm the bad guy. And you, I've literally heard people come into my office and say to me, I'm the black sheep of my family. And here's all the things that I've done to prove to myself that I'm the black sheep of my family. And I'm proving it to them and I'm proving it to myself. And, and so what this very commonly means is that the child has to continue to do bad, quote unquote, bad things in order to be alive at all, to, be, to, be, to believe that he actually exists. I only exist if I'm a bad person. I don't exist any other way. And that's why we see children grow up to do more and more and more bad and become worse and worse and worse and get in trouble with the law and get in more trouble with the law. And You might even sometimes see a a child who's raised as the bad kid to become uh, uh, the quote-unquote infamous serial killer because what's going on there is I've got to do more and more bad in order to prove that I exist because I grew up in a home where I didn't exist unless I was bad. So now I've got to prove to myself that I exist. So on a regular basis, I'm going to have to do something bad and even worse than that and even worse than that and even worse than that. And that's often why we see the serial killer who, uh, uh, in my opinion, that's why you, we see the serial killer grow up to be somebody who will, who will seek out attention from newspaper outlets and 
and do gamey stuff to get the attention of police in order to sort of play a game and taunt the police so they can so they can uh, get eventually put in uh, headlines in the news. And that's why often we see that they have a fan base, that, that a lot of these fan base, uh, a lot of these people in the fan base are often people with a bad guy, quote unquote, bad guy identity. And so uh, that's just one of the many roles we can play. We can play the scapegoat, which is the, what I call the sort of the priest or the good guy identity, where I'm trying really hard to be really good all the time. And that's just, this is what I wrote my book about, Letting Go of Good. It's about a good guy identity who tries so hard to be good just to please other people so other people will like him so that they can prove to themselves that they're worthy so they can prove worthiness and they sacrifice all kinds of things and they get into uh, disruptive, abusive relationships in order to prove that they're good. I've got to be good. I've got to be good. And they'll do anything just to be seen as a good person than to see themselves as a good person. And all the while, they're building more and more resentment because they have had to sacrifice so much just to prove that they're good. And uh, they come to my office and they say, you got to make me get rid of this resentment because it's a bad feeling. I shouldn't have this feeling. And really what I want to say to them is that resentment is your best friend because it's telling you that you're doing a lot of stuff that's not authentic. It's not real. It's not genuine. It's just coming from that good guy identity that tells you you have to do this in order to be seen as a good person in order to see yourself as a good person. So that's what that entire book is written about. And um, so that's a, a good guy identity. There's the victim identity. There's the, sca- the scapegoat identity. There's the, there's the uh, runaway identity. There's the, uh, the golden child identity. There's all kinds of identities we can adopt in our family of origin. Why? Because we were trying to fit in, and we got fitting in mixed up with belonging. We thought that we belonged when actually we just fit in. We chopped off an arm here and a finger there and a foot there so we could fit into this little square hole when we were really a round peg. And, and that's what we did to ma- measure up. And so we learned how to do that in our families of origin, and we kept trying to do it as we grew up. We did it in school, we did it in grammar school, we did it in high school, we did it in, a wor- in our early work environment, we did it in college. We did it everywhere we went. We did it in our primary relationships. We just tried to fit in. It didn't matter if I chop off another toe here or another earlobe here. It just matters that I fit in because that's what I think belonging means. That means I have to give up a piece of me to have you. And that is one of the central problems with loneliness because we've given up self in order to to have uh, a sense of uh, union with other people. It's not really union. Why? Because I'm not being myself, so you don't even know me. You just know what I present to you as an identity. And you like that, okay. But would you like me if I came out and showed you who I really was? We're never quite sure about that, are we? Those relationships where there's not loneliness are those relationships where we really do belong. We really can be our total selves with that other person and reveal even dark secrets to that other person. And we're accepted and received, and loved, and forgiven, and, and uh, we, our vulnerabilities are accepted, and we, the other person can be vulnerable to us in the same way. So fitting in is very different from belonging. So that's the first premise we need to understand, that in order for loneliness to, to really go away, we have to stop fitting in and start trying to be true to who we are, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So, so what is the self... 
as opposed to the identity. The authentic self is the essence of who I am. And it can be told, it can be revealed to us through our desires, through our passions, through our compassions, through our skills, through our interests, through our, the things that uh, intrigue us and excite us. These, these are revelations about who we are and, and what is meaningful to us. That's how we find an authentic self. So it's a journey. And, and it means allowing ourselves to feel our feelings and, and recognize those feelings and begin to associate ourselves more with those feelings than associating ourselves with the beliefs that tell us we should be a certain way. We should do this and we should do that. Um, so our, our, our identities inform us of how we're supposed to act across the board. It's almost a caricature where this is the only way we can respond in certain situations. You've seen people who respond with anger to everything in their lives. They, every time anything happens, they're angry. Um, if, if it's, if it's uh, even slightly negative, they're angry. They don't know how to feel sorrow. They don't know how to feel disappointment. They don't know how to feel betrayed. They don't know how to feel anything but anger. Why? Because that fits their caricature. That fits that identity. That's the only emotion they're allowed to have within the framework of that identity. And so we have to work with that identity in order to look at the possibility that there's other feelings involved. And so when we talk about loneliness, we're talking about an identity without an access to a self. Loneliness, here's another definition of the loneliness. Loneliness is first and foremost missing the self. If I have a self, then I accompany me. I accompany me in everything that I do. And so even though I might be alone, I'm not lonely. Now, that does not preclude the possibility that I can also have good friends and family members who love me and who I love and who I'm really close to and to whom I belong and, and, and feel that sense of belonging. So... It's possible to have that kind of connection to other people. But in order to be connected to other people, I first have to have a self to connect. It's kind of like trying to plug an electric cord into a wall without an outlet in it. If I don't have a self to connect to other people, then I'm not really connected to other people no matter how many people are in the room. So first what loneliness is, is not so much sadness because one has no friends or company, as is we're told in the dictionary, but rather it is first missing the self. I'm sad because I don't have a connection to myself. This is often what depression is made of. I'm not motivated. I'm, the, the identity has worn out its welcome. It's, it's not working, or unless the identity is to be a depressive, it's not working. And it's, and, it's, and it's not allowing me to, to get anything meaningful in life. And so I'm just kind of sitting here depressed without a self, without a sense of self. And, and, um, and it, it, it opens us up to the possibility that depression can open us up to the possibility that there's something greater than the identity in there. People talk all the time about wanting to be connected to something greater than themselves. And what they're usually referring to is the divine. And I agree with that in that sense. 
But in order to have that connection, again, to the divine, something's greater than the self, we have to have a self to connect the divine to. We can go through all kinds of rote machinations about spirituality. We can go through all kinds of uh, of rote machinations about church and about religion or about temple and about religion or about mosque and religion. We can go through those, those ceremonies, but are we really connected to the divine? If we don't have a self to connect to the divine, so so being myself means not just wearing the kind of clothes that I think are cool. That's what a lot of people think it means. A lot of young people think, well, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to wear the cool clothes that I think are cool. Really, what they mean oftentimes by that is other people are going to like me better if I wear these clothes. So that's not the authentic self. That's just more of the identity. But but if if I'm doing something because it it is something I truly soulfully desire, that's authentic self. If I'm doing something because I have, feel a compassion that drives me to do it, that's authentic self. If I'm doing something because I feel passionate about doing it, that's authentic self. If I'm doing something to uh, to um, make up for something I didn't get in my childhood, not authentic self. That's not the authentic self. How I make up for something I didn't get in my childhood is to be my authentic self today. Then I will fulfill my needs today, and then I'll be fulfilled. And my childhood is over. I can't go back and undo that. But I can fulfill my life today. So uh, having a self is different than having an identity. We often get those terms mixed up, just like we get fitting in and belonging mixed up. We get self and identity mixed up a lot. So we don't even know that we're not being true to our authentic self. We're just doing what we've always done and wondering why we're getting the same old results. Getting the same old results because we're doing what we've always done. And so I very commonly have people come into my office and tell me how lonely they are. But there are also people who don't really recognize an authentic self. They don't understand that, they, that they're missing that piece of the puzzle. All right, so we're going to talk some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned for more. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. 
Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free. 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the remedy for loneliness. And what we've said thus far is that there's a distinction, a very good, strong, solid distinction between fitting in and belonging. We said that fitting in is where I have to lop off pieces of myself in order to to fit into a group. And belonging means I can be totally myself in this group and that I'm received by the group or the individual and I am loved and, and, and just as I am unconditionally. And I can be myself. I can reveal my dark secrets. I can tell the truth and be me. And people will say, uh, when, when, when they finally found somebody who does that, they're just so relieved that they finally found somebody they can be themselves with. That is the remedy for loneliness. Not, not just fitting in, not just having people around. We, we so many times just think, all I need is some people to be around. I, I'm, I'm here in my house and COVID is everywhere and I, I just need some people to be around. And that's part of the reason we have so many people violating the CDC codes right now with regard to wearing a mask and keeping socially distant uh, is because people are lonely and they want to get out and be with their friends. They want to see their grandchildren. They want to have a Christmas party. They want to have a New Year's Eve party. They want to have fun like they used to. And that seems to to kind of ease the pain a little bit of their loneliness, even though it doesn't really because the loneliness is coming back again tomorrow. And uh, so, so you know, we're desperate to just be with people instead of finding out who we are and picking the people we're with. And we'll be talking some more about that when we're closer to the end of the show. But again, I want to reiterate that the, uh, the second thing we've discovered is that the self is different than the identity. Uh, we've listed some of the possible identities that people can have, and they're kind of like caricatures, and we can have... Uh, that, that whole identity wrap our whole personality or we can have partially uh, identified with that thing and another part of us identified with the authentic self. Um, there are various ways of doing that, but we, we, if we don't have a self, there, there's nothing to connect to. It's like plugging, uh, uh, trying to plug an electric cord into a wall where there's no outlet. You can't really connect. If there's no self there to connect with. Um, Marsha Linehan is the uh, author of Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, and she had a personality disorder herself. And uh, she got on, uh, uh, she has a webpage where she talks and reveals her story of a, of a spiritual experience she had in which she was in a treatment facility and went to the chapel to pray, and suddenly uh, she had this unique, very unique spiritual experience in the chapel. And she went back to her room after that and she said out loud, I love myself. And it was the first time in her life that she'd ever recognized that she even had a self. 
And that was the beginning of the cure for her borderline personality disorder. And she went on after that to write dialectical behavioral therapy for the rest of us therapists who, who need an approach to the self. And she does help people do that. And so that, that, what that says, what that screams is that we have to have a self in order to connect to the divine. We can't feel connected to each other. We can't feel a real, true, honest-to-God spiritual experience unless there's a self to have it with. So uh, I guess it's possible to, for the divine to reach in there and grab that self out of there for a minute and let us have a spiritual experience. But we're going to have to grow that and, and work with that afterward. So um, that's what happened to her. And and uh, she didn't have a self before that experience, and she had a self after that experience. So the divine really just came down and brought that out of her. But she's clear to say not everybody gets it that spontaneously or that abruptly. Um, many people have to go through long journeys to have the kind of experience that she's talking about with regard to a connection to the divine. So so we, we, we have to have a self, and that's, that's just primary and that's what this show is all about is trying to facilitate an awareness of the authentic self for people and like I said we get to it in various ways if I follow my truest soul longings my desires I'm going to find out who my authentic self is if I if I follow my passions I'm going to find out who my authentic self is if I follow my bliss I'm going to find out who my authentic self is if I follow my passions I'm going to find out who my authentic self is if I follow my deepest interests and the things that intrigue me, I'm going to find out another portion of my authentic self. All of these ways are ways of getting in touch with my authentic self. If I just do what I should do or what I've always done, that's the identity. That's not the authentic self. So the, the, the third thing is that, we, that loneliness is very different from aloneness. And we hear that said a lot, but what does that really mean? Well, if I'm alone, that means I'm nobody else is in the room with me. Not you know, some people say their pets are still in the room with them when they're alone, and that keeps them from being lonely. But but just suppose there's not even any pets in the room. I'm really alone. And does that mean I have to be lonely? Well, a lot of people would say yes. If I'm alone, I'm lonely. Uh, but. What I would say is it is possible to be very much alone in a, in a kind of solitude that allows you to be very much in touch with your authentic self and with the divine and or with the divine. And so it is very possible to do that. But we have to have, again, a self. And so meditation is very, very helpful. And a lot of people do group group meditations. Other people do meditations with husbands or wives or, or partners. Other people do uh, meditation um, in in groups of three or four. Uh, but uh, it, it also can be done alone in solitude. And if you're doing a meditation, if you're just sitting there and watching what goes on inside of you without judging it, that, and breathing while you're doing that, what's happening is you're getting in touch with your authentic self. You're just allowing that to come forward, allowing it to just present itself. And you can even ask it to do that. I, I think that the authentic self, my theory, is that the authentic self is standing at the door knocking, just like Jesus said he was. 
standing at the door knocking, and we hear little taps every now and then, and we we might open the door a crack, and we might let in a little of the spirit of the authentic self, but then we close the door and we ignore it, and we, we lose touch with it again. But through meditation, what we can do is begin to get more and more in touch with the authentic self through just sitting with it and letting it come up. And what I would recommend is that you have a little talk. I believe in dialoguing with the authentic self. I believe in it strongly. And I, I think it's very, very helpful. And some people say it feels kind of stupid at first that you just kind of, you know, uh, talking to yourself. And that's like, am I crazy because I'm talking to myself? But what I would say is that if you're not talking to yourself, then you, you've got to be lonely. You know, you've you got to be lonely. If you're not in, engaged with yourself, of course you're lonely. So I would say, have a dialogue with yourself and say, I want you to start presenting yourself to me. I want you to come forward. I want to see you. I want to know you. Please come forward. Show me who you are. And you'll see little synchronistic things happening every day that are informational, that are kind of the authentic self going, see, here I am. Here I am over here. Look over here. Here I am. And uh, that's, that's one of the ways that we can get very much in touch with the authentic self. I also encourage... If you're going to do solitude, if you're going to have to be alone, this is a perfect time to 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 have a two what I call a two chair. I'm not the first person who invented that term. That was invented by a man named Gestalt. It's called two chair, and uh, what you do is you put you can put one thing in one chair and one thing in the other chair and have a dialogue between the two. Now it can be a person. You, you put yourself in one chair. And your deceased father in the other chair and have a dialogue with him and he talks back to you in, front, in your imagination. He talks back to you. Um, or it can be uh, a, a, an emotion like anger that you put in one chair and you have a dialogue with that anger and you're in the other chair. Uh, what I recommend is that you put the identity in one chair and the authentic self in the other and you go stand behind the authentic self and talk from the authentic self and ask the identity some questions or, or speak to the identity. And then you go stand behind the identity and you talk to the authentic self from the identity. And, you know, we're not going to be fussing at each other. We're not going to be, you know, saying you're bad or you're stupid or I hate you. None of that. We want to really get to know that. Oh, I want the authentic self to know the identity and I want the identity to know the authentic self. We get to know our own patterns of behavior that way. And that's how behavior change begins to happen. That we begin to change our behaviors by by understanding them, by empathizing with them. And the authentic self is your man to do that. The authentic self is the one that can help you empathize with yourself. You can look at the identity and go, "Wow, I see how you became that way." Because look, look what your mother expected of you. Look what your dad wanted from you. Of course, you did this. Of course, you acted that way. You you had you. This is part of how you fit into that family. And, and so if, when you're an infant, you know you've got to fit into this family or you'll die. So you did what you had to do. Thank yourself for surviving. Say thank you to yourself for surviving that. It helped you survive. But now you want to do more than survive. Now you want to live. And you don't want to be lonely anymore. So, uh, so we get loneliness and aloneness mixed up. We think that being alone means we have to be lonely. But being alone just means that you can launch into solitude and start having a relationship with yourself. Use that aloneness to have a relationship with yourself. 
Okay, so there's also a real distinction between duality and oneness. And this is a spiritual equation that we're going to spend some time talking about. So uh, duality means I'm separate from everyone and everything, and I'm separate from the divine. Oneness means I'm one with everyone and everything, and I am one with the divine. Duality is what we've been raised on. Most of us have been taught that we're separate from the divine, particularly in the Western world, less so in the Eastern world, but it's over there too. Uh, But particularly in the Western world, we've been taught that we are separate from from other people and the divine, and that it's silly to consider that we're one with other people. Of course we're not. You're flesh and blood, I'm flesh and blood. How can we, we be one with each other? That's how we tend to think of it. But that's a very... Uh, unimaginative way to think of it. So, uh, you know, they have discovered now that trees communicate with each other through their root systems. Well, guess what? We communicate with each other through our root systems too, and our root systems are not necessarily visible. So, so we are one with other people, and we are one with the divine. But we got to go walking through some old religious material to get to that, because it's, you know, in the Western culture, the primary belief system is Christianity, which has taught us that, particularly evangelical Christianity, has taught us that we are not one with the divine, we are separate from the divine because we're sinners and we have evil hearts, and really, unless we can follow the law and do what the law tells us to do, those evil hearts are going to take over, and we're going to be doing things of the devil instead of of God. And so, we tend to believe in that paradigm that we're closely more closely aligned with the devil than we are with God and so there's a lot of guilt there's a lot of self-hatred there's a lot of self-loathing that goes with that and there's a lot of shame and so it's really hard to feel one with ourselves when we're feeling shame it's really hard to feel one with ourselves when we're feeling guilty and it's especially hard to feel one with other people and, uh, and with God if we're feeling those things so we that duality that belief that we're separate from the divine is very different from some of the passages in that very same Bible that the evangelical Christians use where they say, uh, you know, there's no separation between us and, and the love of Christ. There's no, uh, even if I go down to Sheol, there you are. I go out to the middle of the ocean, there you are. Can't get away from you, God, is basically what the psalmist is saying. And then later in the New Testament, we see there is no separation from the, from the love of Christ. So if there's no separation... If there's really no, that word means none, nothing, nada. If there's no separation, then we are one with the divine. But that belief system we'll have to work on in order to not be lonely. So so duality is based in the whole idea that man is sinful, human beings are sinful, and God is good, and there's a big uh, chasm between goodness and evil, and therefore... We, we, you know, we can't be one with the divine. Uh, but Jesus said, your scriptures say that you are gods. Don't your scriptures tell you that you are gods? That's what he said. And he's quoting from Psalms when he says that, where it says, you are, I said, you are gods. So if we're gods, then we are one with God. These are the passages that we've ignored basically, 
while we're touting this whole idea that we're sinful, evil people that can't be one with God except when we go to heaven and we have to go through certain rituals in order to get to heaven and heaven is only a place far away in the sky that we can only get there after we die. And of course, all of that theory is debunked in my book, Inhabiting Heaven Now. And uh, we learn that it's possible to be living in the kingdom of heaven, which is within us, which is what Jesus tells us where it is. He says it's within us. And we can live there right here, right now on planet Earth. And it's not necessarily a place, although it's it's a kind of consciousness which feels like place. But it is a, a consciousness run by process. And that process is one of growth, where we're continually growing and growing and growing into more and more awareness of our authenticity and our connection to the divine. So it's important to uh, to understand that our oneness means that we're no longer separate from the divine. We no longer feel lost in that separation. We no longer feel lost in the separation from uh, us from other people. And um, we have we have greater powers than we know because we're one with other people and we're one with the divine. And even Jesus said that. He said, greater than, the, greater than these things will you do because I go to the Father. So he was talking about he healed people and raised people from the dead. I don't know what's greater than that, but he said we'll do things greater than that because he's not around to do it for us. What he was saying is you have the same energy I have. You're just like me. You can do what I do. You just don't know it because you've forgotten that you're one with the divine. And so that empowerment that he gave us is very powerful. And so I'm using those scriptures from the Western world to, con- to convince of the idea that we've got some ideas about that whole idea about separation really wrong. Really, we're misguided about a lot of that. Uh, so... We, there's a difference between fitting and belonging. There's a difference between self and identity. There's a difference between loneliness and being alone. And there's a difference between duality and oneness. And we're going to talk over the next break, uh, after the next break, about how to find real, true belonging. So uh, you want to be here for that. This is the, the this will put all these pieces together that we've talked about. And we will be able to look at how does a person find true belonging so that they're not lonely anymore. So stay tuned for that right after this break. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show. Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. The White House doctor makes house calls. 
Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about uh, the remedy for loneliness. We're at a time where loneliness is at its peak because of COVID, because of the political stuff that's going on, and because a lot of us are having to deal with disease and uh, loss, and we're doing that alone, largely because of the contagion. So this is a, a, a timely topic to talk about loneliness, and uh, we want to talk now about how does a person actually find real belonging, which is ultimately how we no longer feel alone. The first step is to connect with yourself, to begin the process now, right now today, of beginning to open up to the to, to yourself, to your authentic self, to look at your patterns of behavior and go, well, those are, those don't feel very real to me. Those don't, those don't uh, make me feel alive. They don't make me feel passionately alive. They don't make me know that I'm on, I'm in the flow of my own energy. Those, those things aren't working for me. Those things are of the identity. Now I want to be more true to who I am. So, so first step is to begin, I, I say people begin with an exercise like on a day when you're home alone, which most of us are very frequently these days, to, um, to spend about two or three hours doing nothing but what you desire to do. Now the first thing about that exercise is that it's sometimes very difficult for people to do because they have put their desires on the shelf for so many years that it's hard for them to even find a desire to even know what they want. I've talked to people who don't know whether or not they like hot dogs or pickles or ice cream or soda. They just don't know. They've never asked themselves those questions because they've been so busy trying to take care of others and take care of business and and succeed and uh, cross the boundaries of success and become these heightened, wonderful, you know, inaccessible people. And uh, so they just don't know. They don't know what they desire. So in that case, I say, be experimental. I think I might want to have a cup of tea instead of a cup of coffee. So let me try tea. If I'm enjoying that and it makes me feel relaxed and in touch with myself, then I'm going to keep doing it. If I don't enjoy it, well, I'll figure another to do something else later. Uh, I think I might want to take a walk. So I take a walk and I say, I'm really enjoying this walk. So this, I'm, now I'm in touch with something deeper. Or I might say, yeah, I'm, I'm not really enjoying this walk. This is not. This didn't do it for me. So I'm gonna 
you know, put that, write that down and say, well, maybe walk wasn't it today. What, what you're doing is experimenting with your own authentic self. But in the process, what's happening is your authentic self is going, oh, she or he is interested in knowing me now. So I'm going to start presenting myself to them. Like I said, I think the authentic self is always standing at the door knocking. And we, we can always just, like, open the door. And if we open the door, it's coming in because it wants to come in. It's been hiding back there where we put it in the closets of our lives for a long time. So it's, it, it's important to really get in touch with that authentic self. So one way to do it is to begin to, to, to exercise your desires. Another is to ask yourself what you're really interested in. What kinds of things do you enjoy doing? Some people don't have any hobbies, but if you ask yourself, if you go through a list of potential things to do, you might have some fantasies that come up that say, I'd like to do this or that or the other. And try it. I say try it and see how it feels. Because that's how we experiment with what's really real inside of me. When it comes to emotions, pay attention to your emotions. Instead of pushing them away and pretending you don't have them like so many of us do in our identities, uh, try to see what you're really feeling. Sit quietly with the uh, emotion and ask it to come forward and present itself to you. You might even do a two-chair with it. Put it in the chair and ask it, why, what is it feeling and what is that about? So many times we get in a bad mood and we don't know why, but ultimately if we can trace it back, we see what triggered that bad mood, that sort of little moment of depression. And so that understanding that about ourselves helps us not keep secrets from ourselves. And uh, so it's important to, to really start paying attention to those emotions, what's really going on there, and authenticating our, our relationship to our own emotions. These are the ways that we get, begin the process of getting touched with the authentic self. And it's only after that process that we can walk into the room with other people and ask ourselves how we feel with those other people. You see, so many times we'll just take whoever, whatever. It's just, it's, don't let me be alone. As long as you're here, I'm not alone. So I'm not lonely. The minute you leave, I'm lonely again because there's no self there. But if I can really connect to another human being, if you happen to have, uh, when COVID is over, you go to a party and you interact with somebody, ask yourself while you're doing that interaction how you're feeling. What is your intuition saying about that other person? What is your discernment saying? Discernment is the gift of being able to feel your feelings while simultaneously observing what's going on outside you. So you, you notice that you're feeling uh, uh, scared. And, and you look outside of you and you see something about this person that your intuition says, yeah, there's something kind of creepy about this person. That is not a person you want to hang out with. You're not going to be able to belong to that person, not safely. You're, you might fit in with that person, but you won't belong because you won't feel safe enough to be yourself. So, and so that's part of how we, we, we work, get rid of loneliness is we pick out the people. We're selective. I know that we're taught just to love everybody and, li- not, and like everybody and just be kind to everybody. I want you to be kind to everybody, but you don't have to like everybody, and you certainly don't have to have a relationship with everybody. Um, and and so 
what I'm suggesting is you pay attention to how you really feel about other people and honor it with your behavior. Not just say, well, I feel that way, but I'm going to ignore that because I need somebody to be with so I won't be alone. So many of us get into bad relationships with, with the wrong people because we're just so lonely and we just don't want to be alone <clears throat> and we'll do anything to avoid being alone. Let me just have you in relationship to me and then I'll be okay and then I won't have to, you know, feel alone anymore. So what I'm suggesting is that you pay attention to what's going on inside of you. Pay attention to those feelings. Pay attention to what's going on with that other person and honor it. So if you if you feel like the other person is lying to you, it's, a, it's possible for us to, to, to kind of have so much empathy that we can understand when somebody's lying to us. We just get a feeling that they're lying. It's also possible to be paranoid and think everybody's lying to us, and that's 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 sad when that happens. But um, but it, we can have a feeling that says, mm, yeah, this doesn't feel true. This doesn't ring true to me. I don't feel this is really accurate. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to that and honor it with your behavior. Don't go trusting that person with things that are valuable to you because you already know that they lied about something. And one of the things that Maya Angelou said and and Oprah repeats frequently is when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. People are always showing us who they are. People are always showing us who they are. And the problem is we often don't believe them. We make up another person in our heads. We have this fantasy person and we say that's who they are. Oh, they have such a beautiful soul. I'm going to just, you know, ignore all the red flags that are in my face and I'm just going to go, but they have such a beautiful soul. I can see it in their eyes. Well, they may have a beautiful soul, but they're not acting on it very much. So you're going to be in danger. You're going to sacrifice your authenticity again to be in a relationship again where you don't belong, where you don't, you can't, you can't be yourself. You might be able to fit in, might be able to sacrifice yourself and fit in, but you won't really ever belong because you're not paying attention to what's really going on between you and that other person. So, so what we're talking about here is, is noticing What's going on around you? Awareness is the key. So we don't find belonging by fitting in. We find belonging by first finding a self and then finding people who can connect to that self. And we have to be strategic about that. We can't just go willy-nilly and accept whoever comes into our, our rooms and just say, oh, well, you're here, so I'll take you. Can't do that. That's how we get into more difficult, harmful relationships. And, and so uh, paying attention to your intuition. So what is intuition? Intuition is that gut feeling that you have that something's going on. Something's wrong or something's very right or something's, uh, something's creepy or something's scary or something's, uh, something's not really true. Uh, uh, you kind of can read the personality of a person and kind of just know that they're really kind of cold-hearted or, or uh, pretty narcissistic or... They, uh, they, they, they have their own agenda, um, things like that. And you just kind of pick it up in the air, trust it. 
And and you can even experiment with it. I, I recommend people experiment with their intuition and just check it out over time. If you get to know this person a little bit better, you'll find out whether or not your first intuition was right. And I hear it all the time. People will come into my office after being in an abusive relationship for a year or two years or three years and say to me, I knew it. I knew it from the get-go that he was going to be abusive. Well, how did you know it? Well, I just felt it. I just I just felt that he had this underlying anger that was one day going to be coming out. And I just, I knew it. So why did you go ahead and get a relationship? Well, I was just so lonely and he was being really nice. And I thought it would be okay. So what we did there was we fit in. We ignored our own authentic, authentic self. And we pretended that things were okay. And we told ourselves lies. And we got ourselves into another terrible situation because we weren't paying attention. If you don't want to be lonely anymore, you got to pay attention. You got to pay attention to what's going on in the room with you using your intuition and your discernment. Uh, So that process of discernment is one where you say to yourself, I can feel my own feelings while I'm also observing what's going on in the room. Now this is not that gut feeling, it's your, in, your, your emotions. It's not your intuition that you're feeling now, it's your emotions. So you're going out on a date with a guy. So let's say you're a girl, and you're going out on a date with a guy. And he, uh, he flirts with the waitress. And you suddenly have a feeling of, oh, I don't like that. That makes me feel really uncomfortable that he's do- doing that. And you say to yourself, okay, I just noticed that feeling. I'm going to pay attention to that. He's somebody who will go out on a first date with me and flirt with somebody else right in front of me while he's on a first date with me. That already tells me that he doesn't have good boundaries, at least about that. So I'm going to pay attention to that. And I'm going to ask myself, do I want to continue to date this person? Or is this where it ends? And if I want to continue to date him, I'll need to keep that in mind that he he doesn't have good boundaries about these things and that I'm going to discover other things about him as I pay attention. What happened there is I paid attention to my feelings first and, and while I was noticing his behavior. What we often tend to do is, oh, he's just so cute and so fine and I just am going to ignore that he's flirting and I'll just laugh and giggle and pretend it's okay with me that he's flirting with somebody else and it'll be all right. That's what we very often do. We're fitting in instead of belonging. So loneliness is a message from your authentic self to join with your authentic self and become your authentic self. Loneliness is saying to you that you miss yourself. You've got to have that first. And then after that, you can truly connect to other people. I believe that we are people who need people. And, you know, that old song, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. I think it's true. We do need other people. But before we can connect to another person, we have to connect to ourselves. So, again, I will say, if I connect with, if I connect with you, but, but I'm not really home, there's no real connection there. I'm just fitting in. I'm not really belonging. Again, the comparison is put trying to plug an electric cord into a wall with no outlet if there's nobody home inside me there's nobody to connect with okay so that's the end of our show today 
Remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. See you again next week. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week 